Hello, everyone, and welcome back. My name is Sam. And I'm Melissa. I grew up in the FLDS community. It is a polygamous group run by Warren Jeffs, which I moved out of when I was 18 years old. I was raised LDS. Sam and I have been married for eight years and have two beautiful babies together. Yes, we do. And we're very excited to be back with you and to welcome a very special guest, Michelle Stone from the YouTube channel 132 Problems. Hi, Michelle. Hello. So good to be with you guys. We're so excited to have you. We are excited to hear more of the vast knowledge that you have. Um, For those of you who are LDS, you probably understand um, the cuteness of that name, the 132 (laughs) problems. When I read it, I was like, oh, I get it. Um, And for those of you who don't, you will learn more about that later. But if you would like to hear more about what it was like for Sam to grow up in polygamy, please like and subscribe. Um, if you want to hear more from Michelle Stone as we get into it, go like and subscribe her page as well. And we have a, um, a special fundraiser for the month of December from Thanksgiving to the end of the year for Holding Out Help, which is a group that helps people who are leaving polygamous communities be able to thrive, have the tools they need to get an education, to find good work, all those type of things. Know, so Yeah, I know a lot of people that have reached out to Holding Out Help and have received help from them. So yeah. we appreciate anything you can do to help them out. Yeah, and that donate button should be right below to be able to do that. So well, we're so excited with Michelle. Um, I had like watched a couple of your videos and I was like, this is so interesting. I feel like I love diving deep into things. Sam always laughs at me because he's more of like a broad range thinker. And I'm like, I want all the details. I want the nitty gritty. I want, I just want to know everything about something. And I go deep and I was like, I feel like Michelle is just like me. I feel like we're soul sisters and then she's going to have all the details and all the knowledge. And so when you reached out, I was just so excited to be able to learn more from you today. Yes. So Michelle, could you tell us a little bit about your YouTube channel and kind of what got you into this? Sure. Um, So yeah, my name is Michelle Stone and the YouTube channel is called 132 Problems Revisiting Mormon Polygamy. Because um, so for those who don't understand, um, section 132 in the Doctrine and Covenant. So the Doctrine and Covenant is an extra book of scripture that Mainly, it started with Joseph Smith and contains the revelations from Joseph through Joseph Smith to other members of the church, and that um, and so so it's the Doctrine and Covenants, and at the very end of it is section 132, which is the only place anywhere in all of Mormon scripture that talks about polygamy, and so um, that's why the channel is called the 132 Problems. Because so just really quickly, I used to totally believe in polygamy. I was raised on. Um, the wonderful polygamous stories. I'm my grandmother was the oldest daughter of um, a post manifesto polygamous family. So we'll explain what that means, I'm sure. But um, so I was raised thinking polygamy was a beautiful thing that would be in Zion and in heaven. And I didn't um, even realize how ignorant and naive I was about it until I started digging in and actually studying the scriptures and just had my mind blown about how many problems there are and how section 132, I don't believe is whatever from the Lord. And, and it's even questionable whether or not how much of it was from Joseph Smith or came later. So it, I realized it's a big mess. And, um, and that's what I've been digging into for the last many years. Okay. Wow. That, well, I'm excited to hear more about this. I know, I know the feeling of, uh, feeling that polygamy is great and wonderful because that's how I grew up. We're seeing that in my own family around the house. There were always 
three or four mothers around and it just seemed like a perfectly normal, natural thing to me. So I'm excited to hear kind of some of the problems that you have seen and that uh, you want to share with us. Yeah, I feel like, like I said, I totally identify with you in that, in that I always, I mean, I remember going through DNC 132, like in seminary and reading through it on my own. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know if I like glossed over or what. I think that when I became a mother, Mm -hmm. I looked at it in a whole different way because what you think is like, okay or acceptable or you could deal with yourself um because i mean i didn't want to ever share my husband so i'll say deal with but like i was like okay that might be a thing that like i could do in the other life like if i was perfect on the other side like maybe i could do it right um didn't have jealousy and those type of things but then when you're a mom and i was like would i be okay with my daughter doing that is that something that i want for her like in this life or the next or what if the church brings it back? Or I don't know, all these things. And so then I went back into DNC 132 and I was like, just no, 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 no. <laughs> like, yeah. When yeah, you actually you set it by it, when you actually set it, study it, it's quite horrifying what it actually says. And I think I must, because I read my scriptures all the time. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to get back into how I missed so much of it, but I really think the Book of Mormon talks about the scales of darkness that are on our eyes, and I really think there's like this blindness that you just don't see what you're not aware to look for, maybe. Yeah. And, um, and 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 I just I always thought so naively, like I didn't worry about the sharing my husband part. It was just like, oh, a sister wife to work, you know, like having a lot of children and being so overwhelmed with work and thinking, oh, there'd be a friend to talk to all the day. Like, it's just so, so much ignorance, I guess. Yeah. And there's definitely um, a lot of rhetoric that kind of excuses it. And um, I mean, there's a lot of different theories as to why it even happened, but what was the main one? Like for me growing up, I was always told that um, being raised LDS, that it was because there weren't enough men for the women. Right. Okay. Like and that was to take care of the widows, to take care of the widows, right. To take care of the women was a main one. Um, that was probably like the most prominent one that I heard. What was the main, like, what was the main thing that you were told growing up? I can't, I can't even think of, I think that, you know, growing up in Utah, we are probably more familiar with polygamy than people even growing up in the church outside of Utah, because oh, we yeah. talked about more, right. but definitely that, the Lord needed to raise up a righteous generation. So there needed to be lots of babies born and there were, you know, all of these widows. And, and, and again, every single one of these claims are just so not, not good. So I should tell a little of the story because my husband actually one day came to me. I talked about this in my first video, but my husband came one day and had been studying the scriptures and just said, I don't think polygamy was ever of God. And for me, I was like, what are you talking about? You're insane. Like, I'm sure you guys could both relate to that, right? And Oh, yeah. And, and like, so I took it upon myself. I was like, I have to go show him how insane he is to think polygamy isn't of God. So that's why I started studying it. And, um, and, and I, you know, started in the scriptures and just was amazed by how little I knew and understood. And then um, once I was like, oh, my gosh. This was never of God. Oh my gosh, it just blew my mind so much that I um, tried to, you know, you have to talk to people. So I tried to bring it up in some of the groups, some Facebook groups and some different, and, and it's way too hot of a topic. It's like mm-hmm. radioactive. That, that topic is not allowed in this group. And it's funny because a lot of LDS people are actually so pro-polygamy that, mm-hmm. and then a lot of people have such 
feelings of abhorrence to it. And that's why it's contentious is because a lot of people are like, you can't condemn polygamy. You can't say it wasn't of God, which is interesting that we're still in that mindset, even in the LDS church. And then, um, so I started my own group to talk about it. And I was actually really pleased to find out that a lot of polygamists, well, a lot of polygamous men joined, no polygamous women joined, because I don't know how much they get to engage. Technology, a lot of them. Right. A lot of polygamous men joined and even some of the like biggest um, polygamy scholars, the people who write mm. to, to, in defense of polygamy joined. And that was thrilling to me because I was able to encounter the very best arguments in favor of, of polygamy, the very best ideas. So I was like, oh, good. Maybe I'll learn something. You know, I was always open to I just want the truth. I'm totally open. And it was amazing to me how time after time after time after time these arguments would just like just dissolve they were so bad like all everything to defend polygamy is just so weak and so bad and based on nothing and so it got to where you know like i never knew if i should laugh or cry because these really bad ideas have create have caused so much pain and so much suffering and so i feel like I just want people to know truth. We, you know, in, in the gospel, we call Satan the father of lies. And I think there's a lot of truth to that because really good people doing their best to live the life they think that is right, is right, still leads to really bad outcomes if they're based on lies. Yes, I agree. I agree. And I've seen that in my own uh, community. So yeah. It's it's heartbreaking, but uh, when someone is only told about the good things and they don't go deep dive into everything and learn everything that's going on, it's very easy, like you said in the beginning here, to just kind of brush over it. And, and then you go back later and you say, wait, I've read this? Is, how, how could have I read this and not noticed all of these problems? And right. uh, like like uh, a lot of leaders of churches say, you, you you find out something new every time you read the scriptures. But in this case, it wasn't good stuff. <laughs> right. So. Well, I think I think it's part of the polygamous training and mindset to only speak about the good. Right. And um and I and that actually goes back in my family as well, even though we're LDS, not FLDS. And when I started to learn all of this and went and talked to my mom and started to ask her some of these this other perspective, then a whole new, a whole new set of stories came out that they just had been trained not to talk about. And so I think, and it's hard because, you know, it is good to focus on the positive, like in your marriage, if you want your marriage to stay happy, you focus on the good, right? So there is truth to that. But when it gets to the point that you aren't true to yourself, and you ignore true deep pain and things that are really quite toxic and abusive, then we enable bad things to continue because we just smile and don't talk about the bad. Yeah. And I feel like at least for me growing up, like Elias culture too, you know, when you talk about the the two groups of people, there's the people who are really for it and really want to defend it. I don't even know if they're defending polygamy anymore as much as they're trying to defend that nothing could be wrong with the church. Mm. At least that's my experience. It's like, it's not actually 132. Cause like you said, if you read DNC, 132. I remember telling my mom this, who is still active LDS. And I was like, if you read DNC 132 with an open heart, like completely open, fresh eyes, open heart, you will be surprised. Mm-hmm. Like I can just promise anybody that if you, if you go in with fresh eyes and no like predisposition to anything. Um, but it's like the idea of 
the beginning roots of the church is so sensitive, right? Because, you know, a lot of people that bash on the church or are anti Mormon, they, they bash on the beginnings of the church. And because polygamy is tied to that, I think people fear, well, we can't let that be wrong. Then it, everything goes out the window, right? So I think that's more of the fear of there being something wrong with the beginning history of the church because if, than polygamy itself. Right. Because if Joseph Smith did something wrong in the beginning, then what else does that mean? Yeah. And people, so, right. people, people fear that. I think, I think it's a fear thing. And then you have the group, like my grandmother was a convert when she was like in her mid forties. And I was just on the phone with her. She's 75 now. And I was on the phone with her a couple weeks ago. And I said something um, about one of our YouTube videos. And I said something about Joseph Smith being polygamist. And she was like, Joseph Smith was never a polygamist. <laughs> there are like converts later that, you know, and she was a convert no, in Chicago. She doesn't have any of the Mormon culture or any of the um, Utah Mormon culture. Um, and that was just something that even now, after years, like she just didn't even know because it never got brought up in the discussions, right? That doesn't get brought up in yeah. Mormon missionary discussions. And so I was like, yeah, he was. Well, maybe he had like one. I was like, no, he had like a lot more wives. Like, let me tell you a little bit about it, right? But there's the two sides, like people that are ignoring it. And now it gets so kind of shoved under the rug of like, it makes people feel uncomfortable that I feel like newer converts don't hear anything about it. Can, can I jump in for a second? Because there were actually a couple of things I wanted to respond to as you were talking. I can't remember all of them, but a couple of them. I think, first, I think the reason it's so sensitive to us is because of our idea that the prophet can never lead the church astray. Mm -hmm. which we have um, canonized in, what is it? The It's in the Doctrine and Covenants at the end, one of the manifestos, maybe. Yeah. And the fascinating thing there is that grew directly out of polygamy. Even that idea we have in the church that the prophet can never lead the people astray came from Wilford Woodruff during the polygamy crisis, when the, when the LDS church was going away from polygamy and the FLDS were breaking off. So isn't that mm -hmm. fascinating? That and is. so we, we got ourselves tied up in knots going, no, you can't say this was right because we have this idea that the prophet can't do anything wrong, which I also think is a false tradition, is a bad idea. And we right. can talk about that a little bit more. And so I think that's the heart, the core of what the, um, what the emotion is about. Is people feel like that sacred idea of theirs is being attacked. And then um, with regard to Joseph Smith, so there is a huge growing movement in the church that doesn't believe that Joseph Smith was involved in polygamy. So it's and more I know than just converts? Yeah. Well, uh, people like, like for me, a lot, a lot of people like to say the science is settled. And that's a term that in general, I don't like, because whenever you're saying that you're hiding something, <laughs> you know, like let's have a discussion. Science is never settled. That's and, what science means. But <laughs> right. And the more and I was in a place where I was like, okay, Joseph Smith got mixed up in this. And I, you know, through I, I was able to come to a place of peace with that or with either way. I was like, okay, either way, I can have peace with this because I'm my my connection is to God, not necessarily the church. And I'm like, even the Book of Mormon tells us that there will be false traditions and bad ideas, right? And that we need to, so I'm like, all of this is just more confirmation of the Book of Mormon for me, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm okay, whatever, whatever the case is. But the more that I have studied, the more I'm like, oh, wow, like, this really, it, it is possible that Joseph and Emma Smith were telling the truth. Um, because neither one of them ever acknowledged polygamy, ever said they both 
throughout their entire lives denied it, denied ever participating in it. And everything we have that says they did it comes from the Utah era, comes much later. There were a few things like at the time, but that's based in what William, the lies that William Bennett was spreading, who was doing, this might be so confusing to everyone, but there was a bad character named William Bennett. Was it William Bennett? Do I have his name right? Um, I think um, it's a different last name, but I know his name was William, the one who was writing. Well, William Law, but then there was Bennett. Oh, that was um, Dr. Okay. Bennett. Anyway, okay. he, uh, I might have his name wrong and I, that's embarrassing if I do, but he was the one doing the spiritual wifery thing and spreading the rumors that that was happening. So we don't know. I, and, and a lot of people will hear that and go, oh my gosh, of course Joseph Smith did it. But that's based on the claims of the women who were under the power of Brigham Young and the Utah church. And like, like you did, you're, you're doing your fundraiser for Holding Out Hope, which is such mm -hmm. a great organization. If you're in Utah, 2,000 miles from anything with nowhere to go and no, you know, like a lot of these women had to do what they were told. I have a couple of episodes on that. So, so there is room to go okay, we don't know for sure. You know, that's interesting. That's that way in interesting. Yeah. I've never, I've never heard that from anyone that, um, that has like any evidence behind it. It's always just been like, a what seemed to be just a lack of knowledge or like a lack of yeah. them being told about polygamy in general. So now I have something new to dive into. <laughs> We're gonna, on my channel. That's what, that's the next big thing we're going to tackle is I just want like the bet like people again with the best arguments on each side to come on and mm. um and talk about Joseph Smith because this idea that the science is settled I think I think does a disservice to all of us again it's, it's good for us it, we have a tendency to listen to what people say something says I like to get in and see what the actual evidence is all of us mm. can look at the actual mm. evidence instead of just taking other people's word for it so my main question with that would be so then did Joseph Smith not write DNC 132? So Doctrine and Covenants 132 was not in the original Doctrine and Covenants. So there was a Doctrine and Covenants published in 1835 that Joseph Smith oversaw, and it included Section 101, which was the Article on Marriage, mm -hmm. which very adamantly declared monogamy. It monogamy, says in as yeah. Much, yeah, in as much as this church has been accused of um, polygamy, we declare that marriage is between one man and one woman. It's actually quite a beautiful section, how the marriage ceremony is that it's so equal and between the man and the woman. So that was, um, I, 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 it wasn't a revelation, but Joseph Smith approved it and included it. And then it was included in the next Doctrine and Covenants that, was, that he again approved that was published right after his death in 1844. And it wasn't until 18, I want to say it was 1876 that it was included, that that section was taken out of the Doctrine and Covenants. So Joe, um, Brigham Young died, I believe, in 1877. So the entire time that the Mormons were living in Utah, they were living in opposition to their canonized scriptures with hmm. polygamy, so right? And it wasn't uh, until after, like, Brigham Young's death that 101 was removed and Section 132 was added with no common consent, no vote of the people, no anything. They just did that. But, and so, and they said that it was, I mean, obviously in the scripture, it says that it's Joseph Smith who had that revelation, right? So that's, that's based on the um, journal of William Clayton. William Clayton was Joseph Smith's, I, oh, I'll, I'll get some of these details wrong because yes. I don't have them all fresh. But <laughs> William Clayton was the one who wrote it out, apparently. It was a meeting between William, with William Clayton, Hiram Smith, and Joseph Smith. And William Clayton's the only one that lived to tell the tale of the meeting, and according to him. And William Clayton was already living in polygamy, right? Mm -hmm. And so according oh, to really? him, Hiram said to Joseph, 
just write out the revelation and I'm sure I can convince Emma because the story we also have is that oh, Emma and Joseph were in division and see that's my my I'm releasing a couple of uh, the next I'm releasing in the next few weeks one on um, Joseph and Emma because people don't even know that jo Emma Smith was pregnant with Joseph's child when he died so these claims that they were at each other's throat and Joseph had no other children with anyone other than Emma even the claims, like there was a mother who told her daughter who was named Josephina, told her on her deathbed that she was Joseph's child. So that was always assumed to be the truth. Once they did the DNA, they found out that all of the claims were lies. So we do have a lot of evidence that people lied about polygamy, but we don't have good evidence that Joseph participated. Isn't that interesting? So anyway, so, so we did not have oh. Section 132 at all. <laughs> right, right. So all of those people were denying polygamy. Brigham Young, Eliza Snow, all of them were denying that. So, so they were lying one way or the other, right? And yeah. then in 1852, after, so the the Mormons came to Utah in 1847, days of 47 we have here. Mm -hmm. and, they, and then it was five years later in 1852 that they had this special conference where they finally acknowledged polygamy, that they were doing polygamy. And that is where one, um, Section 132 was presented and read. So no one had even heard of it until then. And Brigham Young claims that he had it locked in his drawer of his desk, which is so, like, did his desk come across the place? Like, how, you know, he just said, I've had this locked in my drawer, and then he pulls it out right then. And and it's interesting. I have, you know, I have episodes on all of these things, because also the, Brigham Young prophesied many things at that meeting, and it's actually um, important. I think it's enlightening to go look at what his prophecies were and how none of them came true. And, you know, so where we're looking to our source, I think it is interesting. We need to get all of this information before we just assume Joseph Smith did all of these things because we don't know for sure. We, we do know this. Brigham Young was the author of the priesthood ban for um I was just going to say. That yeah. wasn't Joseph Smith, and we have the history to show how the records were changed to make it look like we didn't have black priesthood holders under Joseph Smith. And um, yeah. and we have a lot of, <laughs> now that we have the Joseph Smith papers, we can see a lot of things that were scratched out and changed, quotes that we have of Joseph Smith supporting polygamy were all later additions and changes to the actual papers then. So hmm. it gets complicated. It's so okay. Yeah. Sorry. I have to, I'm like, okay, I have to get out my questions now in my, in my mind. Oh, go ahead. No, I, just, I was just going to say it's starting to make sense why the uh, FLDS focused so much on Brigham Young's teachings. And yeah. I just recently had a discussion with my mother and we were talking about because the FLDS, some of their newest revelations have a lot of racism, a lot, like very, very always, clear always racism. Been that way. And it's always been that way. And they, but I was telling her, I was like, yeah, it's weird because I know that Joseph Smith gave priesthood to black people. Like, I know that that was like recorded. And I said, but my shelf, honestly, a ton of like the history shelf that like broke it for me was more Brigham Young. Like I yeah. have, I got beef with Brigham Young, I guess. Like <laughs> right. the way he practiced polygamy, the way he treated his wives. There's so many, the racism, but I know like so many of those things came from him. And so, I mean, I definitely, I'm excited to learn more about that Joseph Smith theory, not because I think that he's a perfect like saint or, you know, but I want to know the truth, you know? Mm. Right. And if there is truth to be known, and that's something that I feel like when people are going through faith transitions and they'll be like, well, some things aren't meant to have an answer. And I'm like, yes, but if there is an answer, I want to know. And you can't just say right. that I shouldn't have answers to any of my questions because 
everything should be based on faith when there are answers. Right. I completely and- agree with that. I think one of the biggest challenges of a faith transition is figuring out what is baby and what is bathwater. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, because some people, it goes all the way to like, there's no God, there's no purpose. And that, that kind of nihilism can be a really painful, difficult place to live. And they still have to figure out like, like just knowing that things aren't true doesn't tell you what is true. It doesn't give you a new foundation for your life. So that's where the hard work begins of what is of value? What is true? What do I keep? What do I throw out? And I think that's the important journey to me. Yeah, absolutely. And we've, I mean, we say all the time, like it's hard um, when you're raised, like you said, Mormonism, like there's so much, um, it used to be so black and white, or maybe that was what we were talking about before we started filming, but you know, it's, it had always been this black and white. And when, and I was trying to explain to someone who's never been (laughs) LDS before. And I was like, when your whole life, you're told that this is the one and the only truth. And if you believe, and then you find out that something and it's not true and you feel like it crumbles, then it feels like nothing can be true. Right. Right. Instead of like, oh, there might be truth somewhere else because you're told your entire life that none of those other places, there's no space for, for the full truth anywhere else. Right. And so you're in this really tough space of trying to find bits and pieces of truth and then trying to find things that are going to end up being just your truth. Because we're also told that's not a thing. Like your truth isn't a thing. It's God's truth. It's the prophet's truth. It's revelation's truth, but not really emphasis on your own personal truth. And so, yeah, it can leave you open to such a massive amount of emptiness that is just like so horrifying and so sad and so empty. And I don't think people realize that when people go through faith transitions, they're like, oh, they're taking the easy way out. And yep. you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like nothing can be further from the truth. There's such such a huge void there that you're trying to figure out. Right. Yeah. Sometimes your religious beliefs can be based on convenience. Uh, that is for sure. I know that there's a lot of people that I've talked with that, uh, stay in a certain belief because it's more convenient and they don't want to have to deal with the hardship of, of accepting that there might be something wrong with it. So I've seen that a lot. That's true. Yeah. And I think, I think it is, it's, it's because it's scary to step into that abyss of, wait, this was my foundation. Now, where am I? I have an episode on that where I talk about it in an episode called house of cards, because it is an important thing that a lot of people have to navigate. But one thing I want to say is I know that we, because Melissa, you mentioned you like my truth. And I don't think it's necessarily, um, you know, that we each have that, 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 there is no truth and we all just, you know, like, I don't necessarily agree with that, but at the same time, how do we know what is truth? Right. I think that's what people say when they say my truth, I think what they're saying, what feels true to me, they're not just Mm -hmm. trying to make up reality. And actually that's in keeping with the book of Mormon, like uh, the whole way through the book of Mormon, we're taught how to find truth. And I have a, a whole list of scriptures here. It's always based in what the spirit of God or the light of Christ tells you in your heart and in your mind. And I think that's one thing that's so important about this is that we've gotten it turned up both in turned upside down, both in the LDS church. And I think even worse in the LDS church where we instead are taught to look to an external source for truth. This, this sort of follow the prophet idea, Mm. the prophet cannot lead us astray, which we said grew right out of polygamy, I think is a really spiritually 
dangerous idea for so many reasons. It it doesn't um, allow or encourage us to live up to our opportunities and our potential to come to know God. But even worse, it leaves us open to what can happen when when we put our trust in things outside of us. I did an episode recently on the law of Sarah. Um, is that something you have, either of you were familiar with? I've heard of. No, not a whole lot. Isn't that, even you, Sam? Okay, it's not so section 132. And I think some of the worst verses in it are like 61 through 65. And right in there, I think it's verse 64, talks about the law of Sarah. And I oh. and and I did an episode on that and how Warren Jeff interpreted that and how horrifically he interpreted that and what he claimed it meant and what he forced his wife to do to fulfill mm. that law. And um and if those girls had been taught to what the Book of Mormon teaches, how to find truth, which is within their own hearts and minds and their connection to God, they would have been far less vulnerable to that kind of abuse. And I think that holds true for all of us. Along that line, it is interesting too, because while I agree that like the truth, the people are trying to say that it's really my truth is just being me being able to find truth and be able to find what's true. Um, but one interesting thing, and this is probably what you're thinking probably. of, <laughs> is that the people who are living polygamy, like the FLDS, if you were to ask them how they came to those conclusions, they would say that they did search and find for themselves and find that it was true in their hearts and pray and that it's between them and God and not between them and Warren Jeffs. Right, because that's something yeah. you have to watch out for is the, the, the power of the mind that we have that I don't think any of us realize how powerful that is, uh, that the Warren Jeffs and other leaders out there will tell their people to go and ask God if it is true, but they have it. They have it ingrained so much on their mind that by the, time, mm -hmm. by the time they go and ask God, if it's true, they're receiving the answer that they think is coming straight from God, that it is true because they feel good about it in their heart because they feel that this is the truth. So that is just something that you have to watch out for in all religions that, uh, you know, just because, you're feeling that it is true doesn't mean in Warren Jeff's case that it is good. And I feel like that's almost, um, you're like a victim of your circumstance in a certain point in any way that you're raised, right? No matter what religion it is, whether it's FLDS or LDS, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, there shouldn't be a man between God and myself. Although if you believe in a prophet, I guess technically you do believe there's supposed to be a person between you and God that's supposed to be helping to guide you in those decisions. But Still, at the end of the day, that person, you know, when you said, oh, yeah, we have this follow the prophet mentality. And I'm like, yeah, because at age three, that's the song that we're singing, right? Follow the prophet. I know. Follow the prophet. Follow the prophet. He knows the way. I was the primary chorister when we went through our faith transition. And oh, that's hard. <laughs> it, it was hard. It was, it was hard. <laughs> and I remember um, getting ready for our last, I had done it for four years and I, it was the fourth year. Um, right in the midst of everything. And I remember like trying to avoid that song, like the plague, because I just like broke my heart at that. And um, some of the other songs that we were singing and as they were singing it, and I knew in my mind that these words were not true. And I still felt what I at that point would have thought was the spirit. And so I'm getting goosebumps from my kids singing this beautiful song that was all about um, following brother Joseph and I just remember thinking in that moment, so much more of this is like a condition of my circumstance than what I even realize, because I have these conflicting, I have my, the way that I was taught to feel things spiritually was giving me the goosebumps and telling me one thing, testifying of truth 
My mind was knowing new facts, knowing that 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 it shouldn't be that way and knowing that it wasn't true. And I was left in the middle going, oh my word, I don't know what where to go from here. I don't know what to do other than I can't teach these kids anymore that they need to be following a prophet. They need to follow their spiritual experiences. And here I'm having a spiritual experience in that moment that's conflicting hard truth with what I was raised to believe true and trying to like forge that path into what I could yeah, believe is just so tough. So, so, complicated. so, so yeah. complicated. Yeah. I think that is the challenge because for me, I do believe in the confirmation of the spirit. I do believe in connection to the divine. And even when we say, Oh, it's just your mind. I think that's mixing it up. Even if God is our mind, that's powerful. What our mind is capable of, even if it is just that and not an external God. Right. And so for me, I think, I think it's a matter of getting in and finding out what were my motivations, what powers were acting on me and, and developing discernment. Discernment is something we're taught a lot about in the scriptures. Right. And so like, like, I listened to your story of being brought together, right? And and to me, I feel divinity in that. I do feel guidance in that. I have a similar story in my life. So I do think that there's room for the divine. And for me, when I have an experience like that with sort of the cognitive dissonance, I'm like, okay, what is the portion that is true that I'm feeling confirmed? Maybe it is how much I love these children and getting to hear them sing these parts that are true. Right. And maybe what I'm not liking is, I mean, I, cause I have had that overwhelm. I've been the primary courser many times, you know, <laughs> <laughs> even sitting in the um, congregation and hearing beautiful songs that are sung and you're just overwhelmed. And there's a difference. There is the spirit that I, you know, that I believe in still. And then there's also the, untruth. And so for me, it's a good exercise to try to parse that out and see what is confirmed and what is not, what is worth keeping. And I really think for me, as we're trying to do that on our journey with God, God is so patient with us and so willing to help and lead us and be patient with the things we get a lot right or wrong along the way. You know, like I've definitely gone through well, several, well, I, I've gone through deep faith transitions. I look at them as progress, not stepping back, hopefully, you know, because we learn more oh, yeah. and more. I've always had the answer to stay in the church, but, but it's been unique to me. And God has told me how to do it and why to do it. Because you guys are parents now, you know, when like I have a big family and raising children and going, wait, what does this mean for this child and this child and this child and having them come home from church from primary and young women and seminary and sitting down and talking to them about, okay, what were you taught? And okay, now this is what I think about all of those things, having to sort of undo some of what they were being taught that I disagreed with and having to wonder then, well, then am I teaching them to like not believe what they're being taught? You know, it's so complicated to make those decisions. So yeah. the best I've been able to do is go, okay, God, where do you want me? And, and that's, you know, I think that if we are all in a place where we're just doing our best to ask, where do you want me? What do you want me to do? That's the best we can do. Like, yeah, I do think there's universal truth. I think once we all know everything, we'll all agree. But each of us can only see little parts of it at any given time. And it's so easy to think we know a lot more than we know anywhere, right? To like, to know for sure that Joseph Smith was a polygamist or to know for sure that, Mormonism or FLDS is true or to know for sure that there's no God or to, you know, it's really easy for us to 
be a little too certain of what we know. Yeah. I love your perspective. I love everyone's perspectives. Actually, this is great, uh, and it's. I, I think you're right on. It's. It's important for us to just realize that we're all on our own journey, and uh, we shouldn't be judging others because they believe differently than we do. We're all trying to do our best, trying to figure out life. Nobody has all the answers. Amen to what you just said. Nobody has all the answers, even though some people think they do. And I think that we're all just trying our best to figure it out and and to progress and have the best, live the best life we can. And having the love and respect for others in it. um, That's one thing I'm going to say, like, the more we learn, the less we know. Mm, Yes, absolutely. That's been been kind of like our, I don't know, slogan for our everything, you know, rather than faith transition, faith progress, our, our progress in our journey has definitely been that. And I feel like, uh, it's also given us the space to accept and love people for where they are yeah. instead yeah. of a mindset of trying to convince everybody that the way that we think and um, that the way we think is the only right way. And so being able to have that room of being like, I can understand why you feel those feelings and why you feel like you do in this religion or you feel like you do in this religion and we can understand those and I feel like when it comes from a place of love, like Sam and I have said, like you said, with our um, our story of meeting and things mm-hmm. like that, the more we've looked back on a lot of those experiences or with those children, I'm like, I can definitely tell that I feel truth and or the way that I discern things is always with love. Like it's always... I feel love strongly, whether it's love for those children, whether it's love for Sam, you know, like when we were dating, I remember telling him, I felt the spirit more once I met him than what I ever had before. And now I look back and I'm like, it's not that any of those things, like for me, I'm like, it's feeling the guidance of love, you know, I love in love and, and feeling we're, taught, we're taught God is love, right? Exactly. And love. Like, like, that's what I think. I've, I've taught my children because they used to come home with lessons about the importance of having a testimony of Joseph Smith or the importance of, you know, you know, just these lessons. And I was like, why are we doing that? Why are we setting up this shaky foundation? Like, to me, it's love and truth. You take love in this hand, you take truth in this hand, and you go. You, you want to speak love and truth. And whatever builds those things in your life, go that way. Whatever lessens those things in your life, don't go that way. That, you know, it's like... I yeah. love, I, I'm, I'm anti-shelf, you know, how in our church yeah. we have the big, like, put it on the shelf. And to me, it's like, we don't need a shelf. Why would we, why do we have scriptures that tell us that God can teach us the truth of all things? And yet we are like, don't ask that question. Don't ask that question. Don't get, dig into that. I, I just, that's not who God created us to be. People that are scared of shaking things up too much or looking in, you know, don't look in that. I, I'm like, no, let's. Get in there and clean out that attic and <laughs> do what we can. And, you know, good, good. take it bit by bit as you can. You don't want to get right. overwhelmed. You know, you can't dig into everything at once. Yeah. But, but God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. And any question that we're afraid to ask, I don't think that's inspired by God. Yeah, no, I love, I love that. I'm anti-shelf. I'm going to steal that phrase from you. I think that's great for your children too, because that means that you're there with them as they grow up, helping them figure it out. Right. Uh, Right. Because as a young boy growing up, I always look back and I think, man, the millions of questions I had that I didn't feel like I was allowed to ask, I had to figure out on my own. That was not the best way to do it. Uh, It would have been so much better as a young boy to be able to go to my parents and say, Hey, I have all of these questions and then help 
let's let's figure it out together instead of right. just saying hey this is the way it is <coughs> excuse me don't you dare ask any questions about it this is just this is the fact and that's that's that so it's very yeah. good that you are willing to discuss these types of difficult topics with your kids i would say and I want to I want to express just a little bit of um, I'm, I'm not that you are not but like compassion for I think in particular the mothers in FLDS because I know as an LDS mother I would never have even recognized let alone acknowledged this before my faith journeys but I but you are filled with fear the fear of how do I do enough to teach my children enough so that they will follow the one path to God so that we'll have no empty chairs in heaven. And I yeah. think in, in, in polygamy, that's so much bigger where oh, your yeah. children, if they leave, are, you lose them for this life, not even just the next, you know? Yeah. And to oh, be yeah. able to take the fear away from parenting is one of the best gifts we can give. Yeah, 100%. And you're right about the FLDS, like um, the amount of pressure, everything falls on the head of the mothers. And some of the revelations that we've recently received from Warren Jeffs, um, just even... The fact that if they um, talk badly about their husbands or their husbands aren't following the priesthood properly and they try to report them for not following, which this is how a lot of abuse happens, right? If they report, well, they are not trusting the priesthood and then it's their fault that their husbands aren't living up to the priesthood. But if you also tell on them, then that's also um, not having faith in the priesthood. Like they can't win. There's right. no winning. It is everything's going to fall on the woman's head. Their husband's priesthood, their children's eternal salvation, everything is 100% their fault, their responsibility. And it's to They're a the level. They're the built-in scapegoats. They're the built-in scapegoats. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just recently found out, we were reading, um, they give very, we're going to be doing a video soon on this, but um, they give very, very, very specific details in the revelation in August on the different worlds and planets and for um, each degree of glory. Mm. They give is a lot this of from, details. Is this from, from Warren Jeffs? From okay. Warren Jeffs, yes. So in August. Oh, that'll be interesting. Yes. Okay. I've never seen, I mean, in the LDS church, we're taught that there's celestial kingdom, the three kingdoms of glory, the terrestrial, the telestial, outer darkness. Um, they don't give a lot of details because nobody knows the details, right? But... Um, Warren just had a revelation, very, very detailed on who was going to be in which planet and where names of planets. I mean, the whole shebang. And at the end of it, they said, oh, and then the one unholy planet for men only, the sons of perdition. So I tell Sam, I was like, hey, babe, you got your own planet over here. And um, his cousin was staying with us, Joanna. She's been on our channel before. And um, I was like, so Joanna, what happens to you? They said, this is men only. And she was said, well, they tell us women that if we leave the church, we turn into nothingness. Just disappear. Poof. She goes, our souls can be recycled for other souls, but we will be gone. There will be nothing oh, left of us. And it like broke my heart. I was like, well, I mean, I don't know what's better. Sam being tortured forever in an unholy planet. I would, take, I would take poof nothingness over tortured forever. But <laughs> but but the fear behind that, that what is... it's meant to say is that you are worthless. Right. Mm -hmm. If you leave the church, if you leave the FLDS church, you're not even worth torturing. You're just oh, wow. turned into nothingness. And so these women have all the pressure of the entire world on their shoulders. And they're also told, but if you leave, you are less than nothing. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's tough. And the amount of times my mother would tell me that if I ever chose to leave the FLDS church, that uh, 
every time it rained, it would be her tears from uh, heaven because she well she, she would say, if any of my children leave, I will it will kill me. And then from that time on, anytime it rains, it'll be my tears from heaven and and things like that. Like it was just the most she was definitely so afraid of any of us leaving because she knew that that would mean, like you said, not only in the afterlife, but in this life, she wouldn't be with us. It is, it is so abusive. Like the more you learn about good parenting, the more you can see how broken these systems are that put the hopes of the parents on the weight, on the shoulders of the children, the eternal weight. When you were talking about kind of how women are valued, that was one of my big ahas when I had was going on this journey of if polygamy was ever of God. First of all, 132 makes so many false claims. Right at the very beginning in section one, it claims that Isaac was a polygamist and Isaac was never a polygamist, right? And um, that, that's just a little thing. But reading through some, some parts of 132 are, most of 132 is actually about monogamy. The whole part about like eternal marriage is all husband and wife and couldn't work it any other way. But then the parts that start getting into polygamy, if you read those and read Jacob chapter two in the Book of Mormon, it's impossible to believe that the same author wrote those, wrote both of those, right? Because Jacob two is like the strongest prohibition in all of scripture against polygamy. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the reason is given it's because of how much God cares about his daughter cares about women and children and of what polygamy does to women and children. So it's insane to then read parts of section 132 where women are literally property to be taken and given willy nilly, none of their, and, and if they don't do exactly as their husband tells them, they'll be destroyed. And, you and know, based it's on the virginity, he, if he wants another virgin and then, yeah, it's, right. just, Which, it's and, so much. And the stories that are told about Joseph Smith, again, I'm, I'm, I'm a Joseph Smith agnostic in terms of polygamy. You know, I don't think we can know for sure. It's up to each person to look at the information and take and follow where it leads them. But if we claim that 132 is the like what directed polygamy, none of the things that Joseph is claimed, none of the stories about him follow any of it. They're completely different. He was marrying, you know, or any of the stories of. Uh, I, I, anyway, I guess I'm saying they didn't even follow their own rule book. My my mom is a um, Mormon famous composer, um, songwriter. Yeah. She wrote children's music for Mormons. If you guys have ever heard the song, I'm a Mormon, yes, I am. That my mom wrote yeah. a lot. But, oh, wow. or, or when I grow up, I want to be a mother, you know, some of those songs. Yeah. And, um, and so she wrote a song that says, when you tell one lie, it leads, leads to another. So you tell two lies to cover each other. And for me, that is the that. whole history of polygamy. It's like <laughs> a lie to cover a lie, to cover a lie, to cover a lie. And, and then it goes, that old brother, you're in trouble up to your ears. And you lie and lie to keep, you know, just keep covering up the old lies. And this, this, it just gets to be this huge mess because I think it was founded all on lies. Yeah. Wow. Can I ask you a question going going back to the the Joseph Smith not having or the the theory of him not having practiced polygamy because that's is like intriguing me so much. <laughs> um because obviously Emma stayed behind. I know mm -hmm. it's very clear that Emma was never a fan of Brigham Young, really, <laughs> that they had issues. Well, Brigham was awful to her. It's unbelievable what, what he did. And yeah, I in like deep dove in just in looking just in general into church history it's pretty clear that they didn't get along yeah. and so i mean even just at surface level okay they don't get along 
Um, she was very clearly an advocate for not having polygamy. And then she stayed and believe, you know, and was told that her son was supposed to become the next prophet. And that's where the RLDS come from. And a lot of people don't hear about the RLDS because they've changed their name and some things have changed since. Um, community of Christ. Or community, and of not Christ. The community of Christ. Yeah. yeah. And so, but that branch, as far as you know, did Emma, I mean, Emma Smith, there never was any polygamy ever. No. From the scenes that stayed behind, right? Right. So, in fact, that was the huge difference between them two was like the LDS was kind of the church of polygamy, sort of like the FLDS is became is after that. Right. Like polygamy was the central defining doctrine, right? And the RLDS was no, Joseph Smith was never a polygamist. Yeah. Hmm. And I knew that they had denied before the idea of him being a polygamist. And they're one of the biggest helpers with the um, current LDS church in getting the Joseph Smith papers because they had oh. Emma's the one who had so much of the information. I believe possibly even the seer stone came from them. I cannot I remember think, exactly, I believe so. but I know that the RLDS, the community of Christ, that they, they um, had a plethora of information that now the church historians are, the, it was like a combined project. All the Joseph Smith paper was a combined project with them. And so I find it really interesting that when I've been reading through the Joseph Smith papers, I'm not now trying to think back because it's been a couple of years. I'm like, I don't remember anything about polygamy in those as well. Hmm. I don't think any of the documents that Emma had led about any of the polygamy stuff. Interesting. It's really interesting. There are a couple of things like the Fanny Alger um, thing, and then there were some things that Thomas Marsh said so that people think, oh, that shows for sure. But again, as I've delved in and really like like my my experience has been the Lord has shown me a different way to interpret things. You know, because when you bring to it your preconceptions, you're already interpreting. Like Joseph Smith was a polygamist. So clearly if he was messing around with Fanny Alger in the barn, it was an affair. And then the LDS church or the FLDS claim it was an early marriage before, you know, like. But when but I looked for into me, that, that wasn't even a good source. I no, looked into no. the whole Fanny Alger, the whole like being found in the barn thing. And it was like one of Joseph Smith's em enemies said he heard it from en Emma. And I remember mm -hmm. being like, I have to brush that aside. It wasn't good enough for me. Right. And and I know that there's something from Oliver Cowdery, but Oliver Cowdery, like, understood, like, Joseph was able to convince him that it was a misunderstanding. And then even after Oliver Cowdery left the church, as far as I have found, he never went back and said, yes, Joseph, like, he was genuinely, you know, so I think, I guess I just think we need to come to it with new eyes and with real genuine curiosity and, mm -hmm. and try to study it out. Because I think that the, I, I, I just think that, a lot of divisions happened and a lot of bad things that I think, so some people accuse me of just hating Brigham Young, which is not true at all. I, I have, I grew up in Utah. One of my good buddies in high school was named Brigham. I thought it was a cool name. I have an Emma. I have a daughter named Emma. I have a son named Brigham. Like I, I'm not a Brigham Young hater at all. Yeah. My, my 14 year old. And the more I learn, I'm like, Oh no, I hate him. <laughs> You're going to go by your middle name from now on. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but, but, you know, I think that we need to get in and, you know, God expects all of us to be willing and able to acknowledge our mistakes. That's part of repentance, right? So for us to have this idea that our history, the church history has to be perfect in this imperfect world with imperfect people, I think is an insane idea, right? I think it's better to just be able to go, oh, that was wrong and acknowledge that. But at the same time, there are there are scriptures that I love that make me think, you know what, God is working in 
God is working in the world. And I think, I personally think God did something with Joseph Smith. I personally love the Book of Mormon. And the more we read what it actually says instead of what other teachers claim it says, the more beautiful it is, the more it draws us to Jesus Christ. And I think that there are scriptures that I find profound that like no unhallowed hand can stop this work from progressing. And I think that includes, you know, men with too much power and not very good ideas. I think God is still working through all of us who are willing to allow him to, and we don't need to give one or a couple of people the power to stop that. Yeah. I think the church, I think they honestly kind of shot themselves in the foot from the get-go. The moment they started claiming, like what you said, Wil Wilford Woodruff said, right? As soon as you yeah, claim mm -hmm. that, that they can, that you are infallible and that you will never, you could never leave the church astray or us. God would just take you, rip you right out of the church. The moment it's a death sentence. If you're a prophet and you say something wrong, it's a death sentence. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like they, they really shot themselves in the foot because there's a lot of other Christian religions that don't claim to be able to have direct revelation from God. They just say, I'm interpreting the scriptures. Sam even met with a um, pastor recently yeah. here in Las Vegas. They went out and, um, and he was like, you know, in my church, we don't believe that the Bible is history. Exactly. They're it's all stories. Stories to help teach a lesson. And I was, Sam came home and said that, and I was like, you can believe that? Like, people is can believe. Is that allowed? Like, is that allowed, right? Because I was grow up with such a, a black and white version of everything. And I think the church, that's harming them more than ever before. Now, the idea of this all encompassing, we cannot be led astray. Our prophets are perfect. He's speaking directly straight from the mouth of God. If it's from the voice of me, it's the same as, you know, from God, those type, those type of rhetorics make it so that it, it does seem so black and white and there isn't that room for any grace or any mistakes or anything. And I think now they've kind of realized they have to shift away from that. It seems like. And so yeah. I think there's like starting to be a little bit more room for, okay, this might not, you know, those might've been mistakes. And they're starting to, I think the moment that they're willing to admit to mistakes, that they're going to make huge strides in being able to yeah. touch people's hearts in any I, way. It's hard for me to know, to predict, you know, sometimes you, <laughs> what they are doing. But I know that for me and raising my children, I think it's unfortunate that the message has been that God speaks to the prophet. Because I think that the important message of Mormonism broad, is that God speaks to us, right? Mm -hmm. That revelation is still alive in the world today. And I think that's what, you know, even in Moses, oh, I can't remember what chapter and verse, but it talks about how Moses wanted all the people to come up and meet God and see God face to face. But they were afraid and they said, no, you just do it and be the go-between. And I think the message is that all of us can know the voice of God. All of us can be led by the Spirit. And and that's what I've wanted to teach my children, you know, like to to try to step into that and try to know how they discern truth and how God speaks to them and how they receive direction. And I think there's beauty and power in that message that is that is part of mormonism i just think it's sad that it's gotten kind of understated because we elevated the the role of the you know i'm so thankful for for good people who are willing to serve and lead a congregation and lead the church but i don't think any like a bishop would never want to be seen as infallible or you know i don't think a state president would so like at what point does that at what point in the leadership hierarchy does it change from being hopefully a good man trying his best 
to all of a sudden becoming the direct mouthpiece of God who can't say something wrong. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. No, it's very, it's very interesting how yeah. it's become that way. <clears throat> yeah, I would agree, yeah. though. And, and I think that a lot of people are coming to the realization that, oh, he's, he's still just a man, but he has been given the power to... to uh, is it not true that he still, that, that the members of the church will still, would still look at the prophet as speaking for God or speaking God's word? That's still the I way think, it is. I, yeah, I think that that's—I I just think that um, I'm hoping that we continue to make more room in the church for people who—like, I do sustain my leaders, and I define sustaining as supporting them and praying for them and wanting the best for them and trying to make their job as easy as it can be. Just like, you know, you want to be as much of a help as you can. But I also think as a, like, as a spouse, sustaining your spouse, if you always just are a yes person and, oh, that's whatever you say is wonderful, instead of giving the, you know, like in a marriage, you want to, you want a partner that helps you be your best self. Right. And, um, and so I think that that's, to me, that's what sustaining really means. Yeah. I like that. I like that perspective a lot. No, I think that's a better way to go about it for sure rather than just uh, assuming that they can't ever say anything wrong, because that's, that's where we've run into some issues. Uh, yeah. a, lot of con- a lot of contradictions and things like that have happened over the years. So. And obviously that's what has gotten the FLES into most of the problems they're facing, because you know a lot of people ask whether or not we believe that polygamy is the problem. You know, and obviously there's a lot of uh, doctrinal problems or issues with polygamy that I believe like, but the actual act of polygamy, I'm like, well, I can't say polygamy itself is the problem. I mean, there's lots of people all over the world that practice polygamy, but it's the secondary things that come from it, right? It's the the wives being chosen, the wives, uh, you know, um, the abuse and not, there's so much more to it than just the, I would say Yeah, for me, I would say polygamy is definitely a problem, a big problem. (laughs) But I think the problem is what we were talking about, looking to a man, which the Book of Mormon warns us not to do. Don't put your trust in the arm of flesh, right? Looking to a man to speak on behalf of God. And that's what allows awful things like polygamy to happen. That's what I think is the biggest problem. And so, so I I had a couple of questions for you guys, if that's okay. Of course. So the way I've come to look at it, and I guess, you know, polygamy is definitely not the only thing I've studied. It's just the thing that I felt strongly um, inspired I needed to start talking about this last year. Mm-hmm. And so um, so as I've delved into it more, I've come to kind of look at it. This is my best exa- analogy I have at this point, that in America, we have the Constitution, right? And that's sort of the rule book, so that whoever is in the position of leadership has the parameters within which they need to operate, right? right? Ideally, I know we're way beyond that now, but that's how it's supposed to work. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And for me, I've come to see the scriptures in a similar way. Like the scriptures give us the truth of God in which the, whoever is the leader at any given time needs to operate. So we need to understand the scriptures so we can understand God, no matter what a leader will tell us. Does that, does that kind of make sense? My analogy. And so, so I'm curious to know both of you how, like, and I guess, um, cause Melissa, you and I were raised probably somewhat similarly. 
Mm-hmm. But with them and with both of you, how much were you encouraged to read the scriptures? Like in the FLDS, are they encouraged to read the Book of Mormon? Are there certain scripture masteries like Melissa and I would have had in seminary that we were required to memorize? How, how much are you in the scriptures? So uh, in the when, growing up, yes, the, reading the Book of Mormon was something that we were supposed to be doing daily. They wanted us okay. to read the daily, and they would say things like at least at least just uh, one page or at least a few verses, but you need to read it daily. So Book of Mormon was a big one that we were told to read often. Uh, the things like um, the Doctrine and Covenants were taught about a lot. Uh, we also had morning and night time uh, family get-togethers where we would pray and uh, Father would read from the Scriptures, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl Great Price, the Bible, the Book of Mormon, and kind of share his thoughts about what it all meant. And so uh, it was something that we were constantly introduced okay. to. Yes. Okay. And yeah. Melissa, was it similar for you? Like, I know, like I'm assuming that... Yes, yes, very much so. And I was that geek that like, I loved it so much. Like I got varsity letters in seminary, which is where like, (laughs) so in Utah, when you're in high school, you get a period of free time. So like, instead of having like an extra class, like you did extra stuff to be able to go to seminary during school. And then if, you know, they had the scripture mastery that they want you yeah, to learn. Seminary is in school. You go to seminary, you, you cross the street to a different building. Yeah. I go to seminary class at a little mini church and then go back to school. Yep. And then you go back to school. So for one period you go and in Utah, a lot of times they're in the parking lot of the high schools. Yeah. So like my seminary was in the parking lot. So you walk across the parking lot. You don't even have to cross the street. You're in the parking lot. You go, you go to religion classes anyway. But like, if you do all of the things and you go above and beyond, then you could be lettered and like, a varsity letter for sports but in seminary and that was me like i was the varsity letter um in okay. seminary, making sure that i memorized i think it was like something like 32 scriptures every year you had to read um whatever book you were studying because for the four years of high school you have the book of mormon the bible um doctrine of covenants and then pearl of great price mm-hmm. yeah right and and so um you had to read that all the way through from cover to cover memorize all the scriptures i always memorized all the scripture mastery I did all the things like okay, so this is very, very this, big. In addition to at home, like reading every single day. I'm guessing you guys were similar to me in this also that I somehow read the Book of Mormon that many times and missed, missed like these central lessons about how, what the Book of Mormon teaches about polygamy. Like Jacob 2 we ignore completely because of verse 30, which I think we take completely out of context and pretend it's a loophole. I do. I have an episode on that. But then also King Noah, like King Noah is one of the worst characters in the book of Mormon. King Noah and his wicked priests and Abinadi comes and preaches to them, right? And Alma is the one that hears him. But King Noah and the the examples we have of polygamists in the book of Mormon are King Noah and his priests. Mm-hmm. which is directly condemned. And then in the book of Ether, um, we have Replicish, who was condemned for his polygamy. And somehow, did you, did, did you guys ever like go, wait, this says polygamy is bad? <laughs> uh, for me, it was very, very simple. We were taught that the modern day prophet was the person that was the spokesperson for us in our generation. And so it didn't matter what happened with previous prophets because whatever our current prophet preached is what 
was right for our generation. So they could easily like that was always the case. Well, that was past profits. We have a current profit now. It was all about time frame. For, time frame for me. It was uh, okay back in those days. It wasn't allowed because the the men were doing it in a inappropriate way, or they were doing things they shouldn't have been doing, like in the the scripture in Jacob that you mentioned. That was talked about, but they addressed it as. The men in those days were doing it all incorrectly. They didn't have permission from God, but the celestial marriage or polygamy is still divine and from God. It's just that in those days, they weren't supposed to be doing it because they were doing it without the direction from God. And when, and when evil people would do it, like uh, King Noah, then it's see how um, like the devil can pervert the ways of God, right? Like It's not right. that, that, that the principle is oh, wrong. Right. It's that it can be that even the devil can take good things and he can twist it into something evil if it's not practiced the right way at the right time with the right authority. Right. It's how I was taught to let okay, it's <laughs> And it's so interesting because if you go back and read those, you'll see how clear it is and how insane mm-hmm. it is that we can be made to believe that it's, it's like, you know, it's like 1984, like <laughs> war is peace, you know, like, <laughs> because it's so, it's so clear. So it's amazing to me how we can be taught something completely different than what we're reading and somehow believe it, right? That's how strong, how powerful teaching is, you know, why, oh, yeah. well, I guess how powerful indoctrination is, why we need to be so careful. I have an episode that I do I called truth versus indoctrination, and it's so important to be seeking actual truth instead of trying to convince somebody of what well, you already think. And I know we've talked a lot on it, so we don't have to need to go in it again. But I think for me growing up, it came back to that follow the prophet that if there yeah. is the modern mouthpiece, he is to be followed. Number one, else. it trumps everything else. And even when we were in our faith journey recently over the last couple of years, Sam and I went to like the stake president. We went to our bishop. We went to stake presidents to ask our questions. Um, a lot of questions that we had. And yeah, a lot of the time that ends up being the answer that like, you know, whatever happened now trumps, it trumps anything previous is supposed to be whatever's happening now, whatever's happened, whatever's talked about in the last conference that trumps anything that a, an apostle said before. And this idea of constantly trumping leaves always one man or one um, quorum or general authority like that leaves them on the pedestal above all else. And, and that's that why for me, that's why for me, it's so important. Like this idea as kind of the scriptures as the constitution so that one yeah. person who it's not, you know, whoever's in charge right now gets to make it all up from scratch. It, exactly. There needs to be, I mean, of course, the scripture, like the Old Testament is just difficult and challenging, right? So there is room for, like, it's, it's well, uh, but there is definitely room for discerning scriptures, right? But to just say, oh, the scriptures don't matter. We can adore everything they say because of who the current leader is. In fact, I just was listening to a, a defense, a, a, an um, LDS um um, apologist, I guess, you know, talking about polygamy in section 132 and, and something he said that I've heard a couple of times bothered me so much where he was like, we can't have the truthfulness of this confirmed to us because we're not commanded to do it, but we can know that those people. And I was like, okay, that's like saying that that group of people who were performing child sacrifice to their God, that they could be inspired to do that. We just can't have the truthfulness of it to us i'm like this unchanging god we believe in right is is always the same and of course there are individual circumstances but to to think that you don't have to have truth or morality because it was their time versus our time i think is 
a really quick way to just take a left turn away from goodness and away from God. Yeah. Yeah. That mentality could excuse uh, a lot of bad things. Yeah. That, uh, that, like you said, that, for example, take Warren Jeffs. What he's doing is, per- so you could say, is perfectly fine, but we just can't have the truthfulness of it of it given to us because we're not a member of that church or something. You know, yeah. it's just yeah, it's just crazy. Yeah. So, so it's it's actually very similar to just the relativism of oh, every culture, whatever they do, is is just fine when there are things that we can see are clearly wrong, like like female genital mutilation in Africa. That is wrong. And if we can't say that is wrong, then we have a problem. And if we can't say doing this to little girls in Utah or Canada in polygamous um, societies is wrong, then we have a problem, right? And that's, and that is, I mean, Sam and I so many times on our channel, we say it's just so hard because if they don't believe that it's wrong and you can't change people's beliefs and their spiritual experiences, like Sam's mother believes with her whole heart, she would die for her beliefs in that Warren Jess is a true prophet of God and that he speaks for God. You can't convince her otherwise. Right? So where's the line of, um, okay, this is causing harm to people. Whether you believe it isn't causing harm or not, something needs to happen. Our, our video this last week, was in these new revelations from Warren in the next five and a half years, they're basically saying that their members are going to need to die because they're all going to be resurrected like Jesus in three days. Okay. We're in Jim Jones territory now. Jim Jones. Exactly. Exactly. And so Sam and I are sitting at home. We're like, okay, this feels like it needs to be a public service announcement. Like people need to know who can we do to help? Like what can we do to help? And if they believe it, there's only so much you can do, but where's the line of people need to step in and say, you know what? I know these are your beliefs, but we can't let you harm other people, right? We can't let there be harm. And a so lot of the stuff such, in polygamy. Yeah. Yeah. Those it's such such- hard questions. Like for me in my life, all I know, like, I'm glad I don't have to make those decisions, you know, <laughs> other than because I need to rely on the Lord constantly for inspiration with my own children with those decisions. Right. But I think the very least we can do is know for ourselves what is truth. Like, that's why I'm trying to talk to LDS people and anyone else who's willing to listen to be like, hey, polygamy never was of God. Never, never, never. Let's look at it and really get in. So you don't have to just say, you don't have to rely just on, well, I feel it's true or I have it on the shelf. Let's dig in and find truth. So at the very least, we're not believing deception. Yeah. And that's important. And it, it is very difficult, though, kind of what you were saying there. I mean, I know when I moved out, I would love nothing more than to be able to go march up to my family's door and say, hey, wake up. Don't you see what's going on here? But I know people that have tried that and they have gone out and they try to convince someone otherwise that what they believe isn't the truth. And all it does is puts a, big, puts a bigger wedge between them because they look at it as, well, these guys are now working for Satan and they're coming here trying to convince me that what I'm doing is wrong when obviously they're in the wrong now because they left it. So, right. yeah, I think that open conversation me, that you're talking about, it's the open conversation. It's, it's being able to exactly. talk respectfully. And that's yeah. something that we try to emphasize on our channel a lot is talking respectfully and creating compassion for the communities. Yeah. They are truly doing what they believe is right. And there's a certain level that that just needs to be respected in understanding and- that. I really think that love 
is so much powerful than preaching. Like usually when you try to convince someone or you're preaching to them, what you accomplish is creating separation and division. It'll never work. <laughs> right. And, but I do think that, I mean, the example that God taught, right. And the example that saved the savior taught by, we believe a lot in agency, which just means freedom. Like we have the, the, right to make our own decisions and we have to allow that for other people too but even if we can't do anything else we can just love them and pray for them and know that god's got them just like he's got us and all the things we do wrong and and just step out of fear and just try to be as peaceful as we can knowing this is god's mess not my mess and all i have to do is try my best to do what god is telling me to do every day and that's okay that's enough that's all i can do and yeah, I think there's going to be opportunities where like more can be done. And then there's other times where you have to take that step back, you know, right? Yeah, and just make sure that those that uh, are in need know that you're there for them if they ever need anything. But yes. to try Always. to force yourself to try to force yourself or force them to realize that they need help. Force them to accept help. <laughs> that's where that's where it gets challenging. But so I, I have like another that. question for you guys, because yeah, so section 121 in the Doctrine of Covenants is one of my favorites. And among the many other things it talks about, it talks about unrighteous dominion, right? No power or influence can or ought to be maintained by sake for, um, by, through the priesthood, only by love, meekness, gentleness. So were you guys taught that section? Oh, goodness. Um, I, I know that we read through all of the Doctrine and Covenants. I'm trying to remember what I was taught specifically about that. Um, hmm, I'd have to think about that for a minute. You, you put me on the spot here. <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying to. Just to me, these are some of the things that like speak so in so directly opposite of the polygamous mindset that I'm kind of curious how we all miss it. You know, so I'm curious. Yeah. You know, what your experience was with that? So, so tell me again what the the, the gist of the of the section. What's it? What's the primary? So I think it's the letter from um, Liberty Jail. And um, all, all these things shall work together for thy good. Let me, let me look it up really fast. I should have done that before. But the gist of this, this part of it is that uh, is about unrighteous dominion and how as soon as you begin to exercise authority because of your priesthood, then amen to your priesthood. That, yes. Um, okay. Yes. That makes sense? Okay. That, that yes. you, you only can love and talk to people and re you never can try to exert any amount of control on others. Through the priesthood and have your priesthood still be in effect. Isn't right. that so, interesting compared yes. to polygamy? And that was something that was taught now that I'm remembering back on that section specifically, but it was more directed to those priesthood holder, the priesthood men in the church that were under the prophet. If they okay. tried to stand up and do something, then they're in the bad. But the prophet can do whatever he wants because he can't go wrong. So again, it was completely twisted. It was saying you can't, you can't try to exert control upward when it's all about you can't try to control. That's amazing. It goes to okay. show you how they can twist things to fit their yeah. agenda. Yeah. Okay. Okay. A lot, of, a lot of people don't know that Warren Jeffs was like a very big scriptorian. He knew his scriptures very well. And he could use the scriptures to confirm just about everything he and would, anything he wanted. Yes. When talking was something, it was often told that he would whenever someone would ask a question he would reach for his scriptures he always tried to answer everything with the scripture and of with course twisted version with his version of that exactly and that's something that i feel a lot of people do these days where i mean i remember uh 
going, I mean, going to institute and things like that, uh, which is basically seminary, but for college students, right? And this is in the LDS church and after Sam in, had left and was right. LDS. Because I, I left the FLDS and then joined the LDS church. And uh, anyway, so while going to college and, and attending some of the institute classes, I remember going to some of these and they would say things about the scriptures and interpret it a certain way. And I would be like, I have never heard of that. And that seems so strange. So then I would go home to my family and say, uh, is this the way it is? Oh, no, 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 no. That person's got it all wrong. And I'm like, okay, wow. Like so it's LDS family. Right. So it's just everyone has their own little interpretation, it seems like, of certain things. And, and some people try to take a verse out of the scripture and turn it into something way more exciting than it should be. Like, wow, this means all of these things where in reality it just means one little thing. So it's just so interesting how people can do that with scripture. Right, right. Which is why I think, like for me, the teaching in the Book of Mormon about the discerning we all need to be able to discern for ourselves, right? Go to the scriptures on our own to try to learn what they, what they say for us. Cause that's the only way we know what to apply anyway, is what we feel good about what feels important to us in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, okay. And then let's see if I had any other um, questions. Yeah, this is really interesting. So it, it is interesting to see how, Things are conveniently left out of the scriptures. I unfortunately feel like we do this in the LDS church. Like if you look through our manuals, in that same episode I did on truth and indoctrination, I talk about our manuals and how we put certain things in or we'll use an ellipsis or we leave a lot of things out to try to paint a much clearer, easier picture or to try to indoctrinate rather than to actually grapple with the difficult you know, our difficult history or the difficult truth. Because I personally find a lot of value in the scriptures. I think they are so good for us to go in and dig in and struggle with that. But I think it's a mistake to dumb them down and oversimplify them and claim they say things that they don't say, right? And Or make a clear case. What would your biggest advice be to someone who is, even if it's not a full faith journey, if there's something they want to look into, but it makes them a little bit scared, what would be your best advice? for someone? Um, oh, that's a really good question. Let's see. I think, so So we have a story in our tradition of Brigham Young having a dream, I, I, maybe it was close to his death, where Joseph Smith came to him and told him to get, tell the people to get the spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I really do believe that learning to discern, for like learning how we recognize truth, is really important. I think that's such an important journey to even just sit and and just ask the Lord, how how can you speak to me? How can I recognize your voice? How can I recognize truth? That's something I really have tried to teach my children is learn for you how you recognize. Like even think about, you know, how we talked about love. Like think about the people you really love and how does that make you feel? Think about something that you know is not true and how does that make you feel? And you could start tapping in. And I, for me, say, listen to that. Learn to dive in and seek that inner internal wisdom that I happen to believe is God speaking to us, speaking to our minds and our hearts. And to be willing to be patient and to not jump into other certainties like it's so easy to jump from certainty to certainty to jump from oh the the church of jesus christ is the one true church on earth and our prophet can never lead us astray to jump to the church is completely bad and joseph smith was a um you know whatever it was had a 14 year old had 14 year old wives and we, you know and so you jump from certainty to certainty when there's i think always more to learn and it's good to just be very patient 
and very humble and very, I think, willing to trust God to lead you along in that journey, teaching you truth step by bit. And also to just keep the question of like, God, how can you use me? What am I here for? What do you want to make of my life? And how can I help you make the most of my life possible? There are teachings that I think are very false. There are also teachings that I think are uniquely exquisite in Mormonism. And um, to be to think that it has to be all or nothing, I think is a mistake. I think that there's a lot more room for staying with um, with the, the taking the personal responsibility and opportunity to say that doesn't resonate as true to me, but this really does. And, you know, and so for me, there's, there are so many challenges because the community of Mormonism is quite unique and in, in some ways difficult, in many ways, beautiful. Right. And it can be hard to be like, I have to be all in or all out. And, and I think for me, it's okay to say, you know what? I need a couple weeks off because I'm just not, I, I went through my 2020 and 21 were particularly difficult. We had some family tragedies that made it extremely difficult. And that was probably the second time I have stared down sincerely the question of, am I staying or am I leaving? And I have so many children that that affects their life trajectory and you know those are those are hard scary questions to ask yeah, yeah. and so for me every time things happen the lord showed up in miraculous ways and i've been given the answer to stay and even though at sometimes that would be very difficult for me i've been increasingly thankful that i stayed as i like you know my children sing in the primary program this year and we sing I teach them to sing follow the savior. So the whole, the whole, all of the kids were singing follow the prophet, except my three little, well, I guess I have five little in primary and they were all kind of looking at each other as they're all singing the words differently the way we sing it in our family. Right. And, yeah. and so I think taking the personal, um, like, like claiming the ability to say, I'm going to stay, but I'm, I'm going to stay in the way that feels good to me and not, and, and to realize that there is room and opportunity for you to do that. Right. So it doesn't have to be all or nothing because at the same time, there are values that are taught in the church. There are values taught everywhere, but you know, there's, there are things beautiful about how we teach, um, we have problems too we could get into, but really families and morality and fidelity and chastity and how we support. Um, I think that the world, it's really hard to get the message of it's okay to be a mother. It's okay to be a virgin before you get married. It's okay to do these things, you know? So it's easy to take for granted what we've been given and not recognize what might happen if we just let it completely go. And I don't want to say that out of fear, just to really be honest as we look at these decisions and think, okay, is there something better or is this the best I can find right now with the hope that God is going to do something in the future, you know, and to just not think it has to be black or white or all or nothing. And, or to think that there, that you're going to solve all the problems by leaving or solve all the problems by staying like this world is meant to be challenging and I think that's so that we can learn to walk with God. And so whatever decision you're making, try to include God in that decision with the humility to know that 
whatever decision you make right now doesn't have to be the decision forever and that it's never going to solve the problems. You're just going to keep having to step and step and step following God the best you can. Well, I think that um, it's awesome that you've been able to like find and navigate that way. And I think that's super brave because I think there's a lot of people that don't feel like that's a comfortable option for them. So the fact that you're willing to do that, I think the more and more members that do that, they're going to leave more space for those of us who felt like we couldn't. That that's we couldn't have that. And so I think that, that you are a great example of that. And I hope that more members realize that they can find a place and then make more space for people who are what I like to call like on the spectrum of Mormonism rather than this all in or all out thing. People are going to be able to find comfort and be able to say, oh, I can decide what I believe. I don't have to just leave for it. So I'm grateful to people like you. And yeah. I hope that um, other people watching can be inspired to realize that they can be on a spectrum and create a comfortable place for others. Can I add something else too, just quickly? I want to, I hope that didn't sound like, I think there's like only one answer because like my four oldest children too are returned missionaries married in the temple. And my next two are both LGBT and not involved in the church. And for me, the important thing is to not let belief hurt relationships, right? And so I love that my my active um, LDS children are willing to just throw their arms around their siblings and that my LGBT children are willing to throw their arms around their Mormon siblings and not judge each other or say there's not room for you in my life because of your you know, I, I can't abide your beliefs, or I can't abide. I, I just think the important thing is each of us to have a relationship with God, however that looks for each of us, and then to really nurture and prioritize our relationships with one another. I really, as a mom of a big family, I think that that's what God wants us to do, our eternal parent. I, you know, that's what I want my children to do with one another. So I think that's what God wants us to do with each other as well. Amen. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And to not put someone just because they believe differently in a in a different category or that they aren't as good because they believe differently, I think is very important. So I love to see that your family is still so close and that everything is working out well. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for your time and for all your knowledge. And now I have a new rabbit hole to go down <laughs> about whether or not Joseph Smith actually practiced polygamy. So I'm really excited and I'll definitely be watching your channel. And if anyone um, watching would like to hear more about it was like for Sam to grow up in polygamy, please like and subscribe. And if you want to learn more about 132 problems, please like and subscribe and go check out Michelle's channel as well. And for through the end of the year, we do have our holding out help um, fundraiser. So you can click the donate button below for that as well. So we thank y'all and we will talk to y'all soon. Thank you all. See you soon. And thank you, Michelle.